Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Steve Edwards. Hello from a sunny and cool Portland. Still no rain. Still no rain. And special guest today is Mike Gallagher. Welcome, Mike. Thanks, guys. It's great to be here. Yeah, great to have you here. Would you mind introducing yourself for our audience? Yeah, so I suppose I'm here because I write a lot of articles on Medium around tech. I'm really focused on View and in recent times on Nuxt. So, uh, yeah, I, I should be able to walk you through some nice stuff I've written, written on Nuxt. Excellent. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. And for those at home listening, we do have an article on Medium to talk about. There will be a link in the show notes to it. It's a very good article if you're interested in to deep dive into Nuxt. But Mike, before we get there, would you mind just talking a little bit about how you got into programming? Yeah, sure. I suppose everyone starts off with a story. They're a kid, you know, they're playing around with things. Yeah, I, in, when I was a kid, uh, there was, there was a, a young scientist competition that was pretty common. Schools would enter and stuff like that. And I remember I entered with a friend a few times with uh, some programs, really basic stuff. In fact, it was actually basic stuff. So yeah, that's what I kicked off, I suppose, went from there. So what lang- kind of languages did you start out with? Like backend, front end, sides, or uh, bottom? Well, yeah, good question. Yeah, I mean, I actually started with Java. Java was actually my you know, staple for a long time. Condolences. Uh, yeah, I was going to yeah. say, I'm sorry. I'm glad somebody else said it, you know, because I've been telling people <laughs> for a long time that I, I jumped ship. I said, I'm, I'm tired of this. I said, JavaScript is just so much more fun. But everyone, everyone I talked to, they sort of say, oh, you left, you know, people who stick with Java. But anyway, I'm really happy now. I uh, jumped ship and, and moved over to JavaScript. So Well, recruiters think that I have a Java background because I get job offers all the time for Java developers, even though my profile only says JavaScript. I think their bots just see Java. And say, oh, he must be a Java developer. They need yeah, more Java you... in their Java bots. Yeah. <laughs> Too much coffee in them. Too much coffee. What specifically interested you in JavaScript, Mike? Was it just wanting to work in the browser more? What what led you there? Well, actually, I do, I do a bit of Node stuff as well. To be honest, I just I'm sick of strict typing. I know that's and, and <laughs> natural fact. I'm probably, I mean, I, I use a bit of TypeScript here and there. I don't use a lot of it, but I just, I loved, what is it they, they say that the sort of first class, oh, I should know the term now, it's on my head. The fact that you can you can pass functions around and you don't have that, not recently in Java. I know Java is trying to modernize, but it's really struggling to modernize. Um, JavaScript just always seemed easy. Yeah, I was going to say, you must not be a big TypeScript user. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I use it a bit, but I, I suppose I use it in particular places. You know, I suppose a lot of loosely typed languages let you be flexible when you want to be. And then when it's a value to sort of type something up, you can do it. So I think that's good. So not to go down a rabbit hole then, I mean, you know, if you talk to people that come from loosely typed languages, the whole 
benefit to using something like TypeScript is that it does make you type things and that it helps you avoid compile errors and stuff later down the road because, for instance, you're not passing in a string where an array is required or something like that. So so you think that it's possible to be too tightly typed? Well, I suppose I love having a type as an interface to sort of give to another developer, right? So you can say, this is what we're working to. And I think that's the time it's most useful. I don't know if it's as necessary to sort of catch some of the smaller type errors that you come across. I definitely like interfaces, but you know when they're useful, when there's cross services and things like that. Yeah, I'm, I have a, a passion, let's say, for typing and strongly type in the front end. My favorite programming language is Elm. So I, I go all in on the types. But I also see the value of having a dynamic language where you can just write code and it just works and you don't have to think about it too much. So I, I can understand that. That's that's one of the things I really feel is something that Vue solves because there is some typing, like with props, you can type them. And there is some basic type checking, even if you're not using TypeScript in the rest of your application. But you don't have to follow it. It's more of a recommendation. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, yeah, I think I think it is good. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, it's it's structured. Yeah, even even though it's dynamic, it's still there's still a structure there. And Mike, what specifically brought you into Vue of all of the the front end frameworks that were available to you? Well, I was at the time I was working at Backbone, and we did a couple of POCs, and I remember we we evaluated React, but Vue just seemed like such a natural progression from from Backbone and what we were familiar with. And at the time, actually, <laughs> the, the first the first open source project I put together was actually one called Vue Backbone, which is it's a it's a library to interface between Backbone and Vue to allow Vue to render Backbone models and collections. That's a bit dated now. I still get people talking to me once in a while about it. You know, they still use it. It was, I suppose, my background is is in migrating over to Vue. I've done a lot of projects migrating to Vue. And, uh, you know, that, that first one was for Backbone. And I, at the time, I put together this library that would sort of reactify your Backbone models and collections. It's pretty simple, but it worked really well. And it was it's a nice stepping stone across to Vue. You know, I do a lot of work with large code bases that have been around for a long time. And when you're migrating them over to Vue, it takes takes a lot of different steps. You know, it's back, back to that incremental adoption, I suppose, as well, you know, that Vue, Vue talks about. Yeah, that's one of the things I haven't really personally experienced as much, that incremental adoption of Vue or that progressive enhancement like they, like they describe on the homepage. Typically, when I'm working on an application, if I want to use Vue, I tend to start from scratch on the front end. I had a PHP prototype, for example, and rather than implementing Vue components here or there, I just replaced the entire front end with Vue. Took a took a month or two to get up to the same point where things were were working, but then I was able to just cut over. We're using Vue now, and none of our clients noticed. Rather than that incremental approach, so I'm very curious to hear your experience with that, since that seems to be something you have done more more frequently than I have. Yeah, well, I mean, incremental adoption, I suppose. Then my- I mean, two ways. One, one would be that, you know, you can sort of dive into the tech as deep as you want to go. So you could start off with some of the simpler concepts and grow your knowledge and, and start using more complicated constructs and, and view. But the other side of it, yeah, where, I mean, I, I've done a lot of projects where you take pieces and you sort of migrate things one at a time. I mean, I, the first project I started with, or no, it was the first, maybe the second, didn't even have sort of ES6 and, and you didn't have Webpack. You know, you come into these these older projects that you have to move across. It's a very big undertaking. So Vue does allow you, I mean, you have to come up sometimes with unorthodox solutions as you're sort of stepping over to something new. But uh, I've always found it fascinating. Uh, and truthfully, when, when I go looking for new projects, those are always the ones that sort of call out to me. 
being able to sort of gradually bring that in. And I suppose that might have been the stepping stone to me always looking under the hood as much as I can. You know, I mean, this article that we're talking about today, it's about looking under the hood, peeling back the layers of the onion. And so I suppose when you have to come up with those sort of hybrid solutions, you got to know how all the nuts and bolts work. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'll, I'll just borrow that segue and we can dive into the article. So what you were writing about was how Nuxt works from top to bottom, some of the different problems you ran into and solutions. Would you mind just explaining briefly what the article was covering and what problem you were trying to tackle? Yes. So it's actually, it's a problem I came across a few times and, and a few people have asked it. And, you know, in hindsight, having gone the journey I went, it sort of seemed fairly, fairly obvious now. <laughs> but when I started off, you know, you're sort of getting to grips with the, the service side, client side, sort of divide, and you find yourself asking that question. I mean, did this, the, the problem I was trying to solve, right, was I had uh, authenticated pages in, in my application, which if if we it, actually sorry, the authentication mechanism had to be handled client side. It's a sort of single sign on kind of process whereby on the server side I couldn't know if someone's authenticated or not, right? So it's like I said, I've seen people with the exact same problem talking about this, right? And the question that comes up, you know, you're talking about middleware, right? So middleware is one of the pieces of Nux, but middleware isn't isn't new. Router guards exist on the client side, and you know, generally speaking, if you're writing something that requires authentication you know you move over to a new route and a guard kicks in and says hey this guy needs to be authenticated send them off to the login page you know pretty simple stuff or it could be to off to a single sign-on process that you know sort of brings you back in a single flow transparency that kind of stuff the authentication mechanism i'm, I'm doing with is uh, with jwts so there's a lot of information better than jwt and stuff like that and you know you got that most of the the processes these days have the refresh tokens and all that but not to go way off track. So you're you're in Nuxt and you hit a page for the first time, right? It does the server-side render, okay? So we can have middleware in Nuxt, which runs either server-side or client-side, right? So if you hit the page for the first time, it runs on the server-side. But if you navigate over on the client-side, that's where it runs there, okay? So if you think about it, it's, it's, it's a navigational guard, right? So so the common question is, hey, can I can I force it to run client-side? And I actually saw some responses and forms where people were like, no, obviously not, you know, as if it was it was obvious, but it's but it's not obvious. And when you're when you're getting to grips with that sort of server client side divide, you have this tool, this this middleware piece, you know, this 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 module in your project. And so there's lots of stuff in Nooks that very clearly runs explicitly server side and client side, like plugins. You can choose which in which space they run in. And there's lots of there's lots of places at Nuxt where you can pick and choose that stuff. So that question, can I run this middleware on the client side? It, it's a catch twenty two situation, and it, it isn't necessarily apparent at first. But when you start to get to grips with all the cogs and the, how it all works, it makes perfectly good sense that you couldn't run it just client client side. So that, that that that's the problem, right? So you come along, you hit a page, it requires authentication, and you want to wait for the, for the client side in order to and, and not just to it could be the case that you just need to refresh a token you know it could be the case that the user doesn't need to be interrupted or we don't know for sure that they're unauthenticated you know we need to wait to get to client side so they can do the you know the single sign-on sort of procedure with some third party so one one person actually responded to the article and they said you know could you just wrap everything in a client only nuxt allows you to force things for to render on the client side but what about the the nine times out of ten people are browsing around 
and they have a session and we know it's all good and we can render it all on, on the server side. So this is, this is where we're sort of diving into that realm of rendering clients at a server side. It's not as black and white as client only. And I suppose that's where it all, the whole article came from. And the solution I came up with in the end was after trying a number of different things. And it took me on a bit of a journey going through all the different pieces of Nuxt. So I wrote the article talking about all the things I sort of checked and looked at. So before we get too far down the road into the particular solution that you came up with for your problem, I'd like to sort of step back and maybe have you walk us through the build process when you call the next page, if you're using server-side rendering. So just for clarification, Nuxt can also be used to create a a statically generated site where you run a build process and it generates your static HTML and you deploy that to Netlify or Amazon or wherever you want to. The pages are already pre-built. As compared to having running two parts where you have a server-side code and then you have client-side code as well. And I think if there's anybody like me, that's probably far and away the most confusing aspect of how those two pieces play together. And so the logo, or excuse me, the image that you have at the top of your blog post is sort of interesting that it uses a picture of the earth, a cutaway of the earth is showing the core and then the different layers building out to the, to the top side. So do you think you could walk through like the beginning of the build process that you said you studied? and how it all works and how in particular of interest in particular interest to me is how the server side rendered code is passed to the templates on the front end whether it's part of async data or what other mechanism because if i understand correctly you can have rendered data passed to a template and then just tweak it from there versus just filling in your template from code on the front side itself. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. Obviously, there's this statically generated, there's a few different modes that Nux runs in. Obviously, Nux itself is is more than just a, the service side rendering part. You know, it, it's a framework with a, with a lot of different sort of uh, conventional over configuration pieces to it, right? So it does a good job of hiding you from the details that has to be said. One of the things I always say to people is that uh, there's a fantastic Nux lifecycle diagram in the docs. I think it was Kruti Patel that, that put it together. And it is, it's fantastic for giving you that overview, you know, of those pieces. So I run, I run Nuxt in universal mode, right? Which means that it has a server-side process. And each time you make a request to the server uh, for the first time, you know, you're starting a session, you know, you hit the landing page, let's say, it's going to server-side render that, send you back the HTML and the application state. And it does that client-side hydration. So what you're doing is you're looking at the, the rendered HTML while view is kicking into into action you know why it's why it's sort of bootstrapping itself so i mean and the benefit of this i, I actually i work for an e-commerce company called hip and and by the way uh, we're hiring so reach reach out to me on linkedin and we can talk yes so it's an e-commerce company right and one of the things that's very important is seo and also obviously speed you know when people are browsing around they tend to open a lot of new windows when they're sort of browsing for products so the server-side rendering aspect is a no-brainer for us and what happens is if you hit the landing page it'll do the render on the server-side process and it's all obviously it's server-side rendering so it's isomorphic code the isomorphic code is is part of the interesting part of the Nuxt and, and all the server-side rendering movement. So it renders on the server, produces that HTML output, sends it back. 
and then the application picks up the client side. And as you navigate away, you're in a single page application. You know, there's no more server side rendering. It's always on the first access. So yeah, I mean, that there's a complicated life cycle there. And as I mentioned earlier on that, that great diagram that's in the Nooks docs, it puts it at a very high level as a sort of a transfer from server across the client. But inside, there's lots of moving pieces and some pieces run on both environments and some pieces only run once and only at a certain moment. And I, even in the article, I, I mentioned sort of asynchronous and synchronous stuff. So yeah, it's not, I mean, you start off and it, you know, the basic concept is simple, but as you start to get into the nuts and bolts, uh, it does get a little more complicated. So will I, will I go down through some of the components I'm talking about? One quick clarification question. Uh, you talked about the point where the it's handed off from the server side to the client side. So where is, can you describe where that happens or how that happens in particular from the client side? Can you see like the actual HTML that's been rendered from the server side and tweak it or not? How does that, how does that all happen? You could do. Yeah. In this, in this situation here, there's, there's nothing sort of, I mean, I'm not too sure what you mean by tweaked, but in this particular case, we, um, I mean, it comes back to the client and we have the, the serialized state, you know, there's, there's a NUC state that comes back which is what's used to kick off the, the, the Vuex store. And actually, the Vuex store is kind of a pivotal piece of the solution in the end of the day because, you know, it's, it's serialized or snapshotted and brought back to the client, you know, and the client then loads up and continues, you know. And, and, you, and then even inside the components you have, the, the mounted is, is a lifecycle event in view that we're all familiar with but in the nuxt world that only happens on the client side and then and a natural fact that i mean there's there's other hooks inside nuxt that view and view devs wouldn't wouldn't know like the async fetch async data would be the, you know if you want to go out and let's say make a, an ajax request for to an api to pull back the data your component needs your page needs uh, that can happen on the server side or client side and that async data hook it's actually something that happens as you navigate so it's doesn't really it happen both like server side I mean, if i remember there's some sort of context object that you and you could look at that inside of the async data to determine whether it was happening client side versus server side you can indeed yeah yeah you can you can definitely put in that logic uh, again uh, it's nux gives you a lot of a lot of behavior that you don't need to go digging in the in the weeds you know you don't need to make that distinction and you know my experience is a lot of devs uh, get into Nuxt and they can work away oblivious to some of these powerful sort of features you have and control you can take. And so you could definitely make a call on doing something different server side and client side in that in that fetch, you know, in that async data event. Yeah, my problem is that I'm one of those people that wants to know the details. So therefore I go digging. Yeah, no, I'm definitely the same myself. You know, I'm always I'm always causing trouble under the hood. So okay, so looking at this image on your post that shows the different stages. So you've got server-side rendering and then we get into your hooks. So yeah, I know probably speaking strictly from a view standpoint, I know mounted and, oh my gosh, I can't remember the other one. What's the other one that's right after mounted? There's created, mounted. Created, thank uh, you. Before update. Right. I think created and mounted are a lot of ones that are commonly used to do something that you need to do right at the beginning of the mounting process to create some data for your component or add something, insert something in there or tweak something or do whatever. So are those hooks different in a Nuxt and, and where, they're, where they're implemented in the process different in Nuxt versus just straight view? Yeah, I mean, the hooks that I was talking about here are actually 
sort of uh, hooks you'd often use in, in modules. It's actually, it's, it's hooks is one of those words that gets too many uses. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yes. It, there's, I thought you were going to go talking about the sort of hooks in the, in the context of Vue 3 as well as, as a whole other area. But in this case, uh, Nuxt, generally life speaking, cycle hooks. Hooks. let's clarify and say lifecycle hooks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in Nuxt, when you're when you're building modules, I mean, the the scope of what you can do in modules is phenomenal. Uh, you can really tap into it, and you can add in those those build hooks, Nuxt hooks. Um, I, I saw that the Nuxt Nation conference is coming up soon, and I saw there's an article, uh, an article, there's a a session on doing the modules in, in Nuxt. You know, and there's there's so much power you have there in the build process, generating generating uh, code. So yeah, those those hooks I'm talking about there would be inside the build process. And in actual fact, on my journey <laughs> going through this particular problem, the hooks didn't really give me anything that I couldn't do with some with something else. I, I've I've written a few modules in, in Nuxt and, and done a bit of work on and, and sort of I suppose to- toyed with it as much as anything else. I don't have so many sort of production you know use cases for it, but I've definitely done a good bit of toying with it. But my main focus ended up on Nuxt middleware itself, right, which is this sort of magic component which runs on the server side and also on the client side. And the plugins are similar as well, right? So plugins, just, just to clarify for anyone who doesn't know Nuxt very well, in Vue, you have your, your main JS is pretty common or whatever. You know, you, you have a bootstrapping module that kicks you off and starts your, your Vue process, you know, your, your Vue instance. Uh, but Nux doesn't work that way. Again, it's one of these things that, you know, this back to convention over configuration, you know, Nux, Nux has these pages, it generates the routing. Well, Nux also generates the, uh, the bootstrapping of its application, right? So, so you don't actually have an easy way to add something in when you're starting off the process, okay? And again, this all this abstraction is is for a purpose, you know, because it does all the server-side, client-side divide for you. It handles everything for you. And if you don't know what you're doing, it just does it for you. <laughs> so plugins are the nice way inside Nuxt that you can sort of bootstrap something into the app. And you can choose with plugins if they run both on the server-side and the client-side or, or just on one of them. So... Yeah, I mean that that was that was one of my main areas of focus. I was looking at this and saying, well, you know, we hit the page for the first time. Maybe the plugins gives us something that we can use to lock or to pause or or, or do something to handle this client side sort of barrier you want to put on this page. Okay, so again, I'm I'm back to this use case. I'm I'm trying to hit an authenticated page. I can only verify it really on the client side. I don't want to always block it. I don't want to always run a client side. You know, I want to be able to to render a service set if I know I have everything I need. So. I mean, I looked at plugins. One of the things that I called out in the article is that you can actually run plugins asynchronously, right? So that it it doesn't actually block. And I did a few, I did a bit of testing on the client side to see how an asynchronous plugin behaved. And yeah, I could do an asynchronous plugin. I mean, I, the reason why I wanted to be asynchronous is I could go off and make a call to uh, another service and sort of check this authentication situation. But the whole time that it's running, right? Sure, you're stopping, you've essentially paused the client-side bootstrap, right, of your application. The server-side render is still sitting there staring you in the face. So again, it goes back to that, understand that lifecycle, right? So on the server, it runs, produces the HTML output, and then it's on your browser looking you in the face while you're client-side application is, is starting up, right? So I suppose I, after investigating plugins, after investigating middleware, after looking at all the different options that Nux provides, I, I kind of took a step back and I 
I came up with this concept of sort of what I call deferring the server-side render, right? Because it's not that I always want it to be clients. I'd always want it to be server-side. Like I say, it's not as black and white as all that. So when I come across this situation where I have hit this middleware, I'm on the server side. I don't know if I should be letting this user through or not. I sort of flag this state that the that the request is deferred. Okay, and what happens is the remainder of the server side render happens, but it doesn't render the full page. All it does is render a spinner, right? Which seems like a bit of a waste, but it's equivalent to to doing a client only render. You know, if if you think about before server side rendering was an option, if you boot up a client side application, the first thing you're looking at is a spinner while everything's loading. So in the case that someone clicks a link in an email or something to an authenticated page or in their bookmarks or whatever, they're going to see this spinner while they're waiting. Now, if it's an authenticated page, this is a user who uses the site regularly. We're not going to, we're not going to lose somebody who doesn't know our application. But if they go to, the, to, the, to a standard landing page uh, that's public, you know, they're going to get it straight away. And if it just so happens that their session is still valid, a long life JWT or something like that, they they can go straight in and they get that service side render straight off the bat, which increases the speed, you know, um, the behavior when when they're browsing around the app. And like I said, in the e-commerce site, it's common that people are opening up a lot of windows. So, you know, each of those windows is a new session, really. That make sense? Yes. So trying to wrap this all around my, my head around it all. But uh, yeah, logically, it makes sense. I'd have to see it, like actually work with it a little bit to understand it more completely. But yeah, I get the idea about how you can stop stuff, wait, make sure, see this is what you really want to do, and then go from there. So I, I suppose, I mean, when I when I started off coming with the solution, I there's a lot of complex moving parts here. So my goal was to sort of say, hey, I want to implement a piece of infrastructure. And then separate from that, I want to decide when I need to use it. You know, for anyone else coming along to maintain or, or work with this code, it's nice to to have a sort of common infrastructure tool, you know, similar to middleware and plugins and modules and all that you find in Nuxt, you know, design the tool and then use it somewhere. So I came up with this concept of pending jobs. Okay. So in actual fact, at any point in the server side render process, you know, and again, that life cycle has a lot of pieces to it. At any point that we need to, to run this defer as such, we basically just dispatch few X action to store up a job that's going to have to be run on the client side, right? So what actually happens is we send out that dispatch. From then on out, the server-side render knows it's going to be rendering a spinner. It's not going to do a full-on render. It's not going to build out this page that we don't know if we're going to need yet. And when it gets over to the client side, the hydration process, you know, it pulls in that Vuex store state, which right now is the list of actions to be executed, right? So it's it's like it's an array of strings. It's nice JSON serializable content. It gets pushed into the store. You know, this the store has that, I forget what it's called, the method there to sort of rehydrate the store, to replace the state, actually replace state is what it's called. So it pushes that all into the store and then it bootstraps on the client side. And when it goes to check this reactive data in the store, it says, oh, there's some pending jobs. The client-side application hydrates, and then it runs those jobs. Once it's mounted, it runs those jobs. The loader is still showing there. It does whatever it needs to do, and then it makes a call of what to do next. So that's it's that level of control and the life cycle as we're doing a render from the server to the client side. I suppose that's the, the crux of the, of the article. Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's 
out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say, Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have this situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. I really like this solution for this problem that you're basically just creating a job queue and deferring things until you're on the client side. I, I think that makes a lot of sense for the, for the problem that you were coming to. I'm looking at this and obviously the, the solution you came to is using Vuex. Would you, if you wanted to build this out as we were just talking about Nuxt modules and Nuxt plugins, would you want to build this out as a more generic job queue plugin for, for Nuxt? Is that something that would make sense to you or does it really need to live in the Vuex layer like you have it here? Yeah, I'm interested to know why you're asking, Lindsay. You know, it's, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Vuex and I find a lot of people are very much on one side or the other with it. Are you one of those people that that would prefer a different solution, you know, Pina or one of these, or even something simpler again? It's not so much that. It's, I look at this, and this is really cool, but to to implement this in a Nuxt application, it requires Vuex. And, have, and you'd have to basically either copy-paste this or import it as a Vuex module somehow into your Vuex store. But either way, you're reliant on Vuex. And I'm just trying to think, is there a way with this logic can this actually work in a plugin of some sort? Like kind of kind of going back in your in your thought process, but still ending up with the same implementation at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's no there's no reason it wouldn't work that way. I, I suppose my 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 thought process for the for the view for the Vuex module is that uh, my experience is most devs know Vuex well. So you put something in the Vuex module and they can normally follow it. And again, this is there's a, there's a lot of there's new concepts here, so there's there's a lot of stuff to take in. If you can remove that learning curve, I think Vuex modules are easy to read. But there's nothing from a technical perspective. There's nothing to stop us using the Nux state. Nux provides that that we can interact with on the server side. You know, there's nothing stopping us just adding something to the Nux state on the server side that the client side picks up on and, and uses in whatever way it wants. So yeah, to answer your question, there's no reason it couldn't be something completely separate. And as you say, it would make it easy to wrap it up maybe in a reusable way. You know, you could you could open source it and have it as an easy installable plugin, uh, easy installable module. Yeah. Well, anyone listening, if they want to try and build a job queue plugin for Nux, now's your opportunity. <laughs> 
I mean, no, this is for, really cool. For me, the article is about, you know, is about the path to find the solution. I suppose the solution is one thing by itself, right? But I, like yeah. I said, I love diving through the layers, thinking about the, the flows and the scenarios, you know? So it is, uh, and, and I, I love isomorphic code. The truth is, you know, it's, it's really yes. cool. Yeah, that, that's actually one of the, the things I love the most about these server-side frameworks like Nuxt or if you're in React, Next.js, where your, your JavaScript is just running. It doesn't really matter where you are, whether it's on the server, whether it's on the client. Everything just works, ideally. And to really get that benefit, you do have to do this kind of deep dive and really understand what's going on and what you can and cannot do and when things run and all of that. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's I think Nux is like I said before, it's it's quite progressive and sort of progressive disclosure. You know what I mean? You get in, you play with it the first time, you don't really need to know how it all works, but gradually as time goes on, you're gonna hit something at some point and say, Why did you do it like that? You know, and, and what can I do to get around this? And you're gonna go digging in the weeds, you know. And uh, I think it does happen quite organically, quite naturally, you know what I mean? And I guess the docs are geared up for that sort of nice even learning curve. They don't overload you up front. You know, I think Vue was good as that as well. A lot of times I've come across stuff and I said, that's not in the documentation. I think they did it intentionally. They didn't want to overload people all at once with every concept, you know? So that progressive disclosure, I think both Vue and Nux do that very well. Yeah, I feel like that's something in that part of the ethos of the Vue community is not overloading people with technical knowledge until they're ready for it. Yeah, and, and here I come along with this article, huh? <laughs> no, and when people read this article, they're ready for it. That's the idea. <laughs> Yes, you just blew that all to smithereens, Mike. Just blew it all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, cool. Thank you so much for going through all of this. Is there anything specific? Like when you're writing an article like this and you're wanting to do a deep dive on a particular topic, even before you get to the article, what is your thought process on the next step? Like how do you find that next thing to look at? In this case with Nuxt, it was uh, obviously we're looking back with 2020 vision, but it was it was more obvious the different options you could look at because there is middleware, there is plugins, there is Vuex, there's you know there's all of these tools that Nuxt provides. But when you're needing to do a deep dive like this, whether it be Nuxt or any other tool, how do you think about the problem to reach that next step that you want to investigate that one layer deeper? I'm always reading through the code. I have Vue and, and Nuxt code at hand at any moment, um, and 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 you know. You asked me before about the, the move from Java to JavaScript. That's one of the cool things about JavaScript. You just go digging in the code anytime you want. And uh, you know you have the, all those Java compiled libraries. You never get to look at any code. So you know it is, it's really, really amazing to be able to sort of just dive in at any point and say, how is this going to behave in this scenario? You know, So I'm always diving in the code. Now, in fairness, in, in Nook's situation, it gives you that sort of menu of options as you go through the docs. You know what I mean? You can immediately scan through and sort of say, hey, what does that do? And maybe this will help. There's, there's definitely a trail you can follow. But absolutely, I'm always digging in the code. And I, I'd say to anybody who wants to get into, into the weeds with Nuxt, have a look at it. The code's beautiful, by the way. <laughs> and it's clear. It's easy to go through. So you can really get some extra perspective doing that. Have there been any surprises when you've been looking either at Nuxt or Vue or any of these tools that you use when you do a deep dive has there any been any surprise that you've been very happy to discover oh for sure yeah i mean i've done a lot of work in the past with uh, reactivity in view and i've definitely gone in the weeds on that I wrote, I wrote an article a while back about sort of tracing tracing the reactivity as something happens you know and, and it's funny view three has come along and, and and killed all my articles because anything that i wanted to solve for view two has been solved in view three just out of the box you know 
But I, I did an article about tracing reactivity in, in view two and sort of find, finding out what's causing something and why you have this sort of big reactivity chain that's occurring. And I actually wrote a little library as well that would allow you to sort of debug and find out what triggers this change that you didn't know where it was coming from. And, and the guys put sort of dev tool traceability in view three. But that was me digging through the weeds again, you know, and I, 